Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. You know, have you guys seen these things called uh, Pinterest fails? Have you seen these Pinterest fails? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Nobody? Okay, yeah, right. I'm, I'm, I'm a real heavy Pinterest user, so I just thought you guys might have known what this was. <laughs> My bad. Um, follow me on, on Pinterest if you don't mind. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not really a Pinterest user, but I know some of you are. And uh, these things called Pinterest fails, they're hilarious, right? Uh, maybe you've seen them. Uh, what happens is a person sees, and maybe this has happened to you, you you're on Pinterest, you're like scrolling, and you see a, uh, a, a picture of a craft or a cake or, or something, and you think to yourself, oh man, that's awesome, I want to I do that. And then you think, that doesn't look that hard. That's, that's actually where things go wrong, is when you have that thought. That doesn't look that hard. Yeah, it, it's, that's bad. And so you have this expectation of what it's going to look like, in your head, based on the picture on Pinterest, uh, and then the reality is just a little different. You know, life sometimes can be like a Pinterest fail, right? Life can be like a Pinterest fail. You know, we have an idea of our desired future, what we hope things will be like one day, and oftentimes what we hoped for just isn't what happens. It just, it just doesn't come out like we thought it would. And it could be something small, like you... You went shopping and you bought an outfit and you thought you were going to look great in it. And then you got home. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the skinny mirrors they have. And then you get home and you put it on. You're like, I look terrible in this. Why did I buy this? It could be something as simple as uh, you had dreams for this vacation, this, this vacation that was going to be so amazing for your family. And uh, all you did was fight the whole time. Right? Anybody have any vacations like that before? Right? And so you had, this, you had this expectation of what you thought it was going to be like, and then uh, reality set in, and it, it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. They're just, they're just different. Uh, it could be um, something like a relationship, you know, something more serious, more painful than a vacation or an outfit, something way more painful, like a relationship. Right? Someone you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with. Like, this is the one, I found them, and then it's over. It's over. Like you had this expectation, but reality came in. Or it could be something serious like, uh, you know, you, you thought your health would last well into your 80s. And you thought, I'm going to have a great retirement and I've taken care of myself and everything's going to be great. I'm going to live well into my 80s with good health. But then in your early 60s, your health begins to stumble. You had an expectation and then reality set in. You see, between uh, our expectations of what we think is going to happen and our experienced reality, there is this gap. So we have expectations over here, what we think is going to happen, and then what our reality is, what actually happens, and in between, there is this gap. And what you and I decide to put in that gap, in that moment when it happens, what we decide to put in that gap tells us a lot about who we are as people, and if you're a Christian, it tells you a lot about how you see Jesus and what condition your faith is in. Okay? You follow what I'm saying? So you have an expectation, you, you think something's going to happen, and then when reality happens and your experience is different than what you were hoping for, you have a gap. And what you put in that gap tells you a lot. It reveals a lot about who and where you are in your faith. 
Now, as we wrap up this series on radical obedience, I wanted to discuss something Jesus calls you and I to obey. If we are Christians, he calls us to obey this, and I believe it's probably the hardest thing he commands us to do because it goes against everything that is natural and normal for us, number one. Number two, um, we, we aren't even aware when we're disobeying it. We aren't even aware that we're not living the way he's calling us to live, like we're unaware. And so that's why it's difficult. But I want to wrestle with this passage today. I want us to look closely at it. And I want us to be challenged if we're a Christian in this room. If we're a follower of Jesus, I want us to be challenged. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to see kind of like the call that Jesus puts on our lives. It's significant. It's a big deal. It's not like, hey, believe some stuff about me and try to be a good person. It's way more than that. It's way more than that. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 21 through 25. So if you have your smartphone or your tablet, your Bible, whatever you have, um, uh, we're going to just look at this passage of Scripture. This is, you know, the middle of Jesus' ministry. He's kind of headed towards the end of his ministry. And he's beginning to reveal some things to his closest followers. He's letting them in on the, the, the loop of what's happening. So this is uh, what Matthew records for us. Verse 21 of chapter 16, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, stop for a second. This isn't just one time that Jesus said this. Jesus, in other words, what Matthew's recording for us is like, hey, at that time, Jesus began explaining like, he began having conversations with them. Hey, guys, this is going to be happening. This is going to be taking place. I'm going to get arrested. Uh, I'm going to get mistreated. And, and, and it's going to be by the very people who have been opposing me this whole time. You know those guys I've been arguing with back in the temple courts? You know those guys I've been arguing with and having debates with? Those guys are going to arrest me. And I'm going to die. And then look at verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now, in this text, there's a few things I want to point out to you, but the very first thing I want us to point out and talk about is Peter. Peter reveals a lot about who we are. He reveals a lot about his own heart, and he actually reveals a lot about our heart as well. Because you see, Peter had expectations for Jesus. I mean, Peter uh, had been a hardworking guy his whole life. He had uh, been in some kind of, uh, you know, fishing industry. Maybe he owned his own fishing company. He walked away from a successful business to follow around with Jesus. And then Jesus started healing people and doing miracles. And Peter thought, okay, this is a, this is a big deal. This dude's powerful. Like, we're going to, like, we're going places. And, it, and it's, it's, it's highly likely, it's highly likely that Peter began to think, hey, you know what? If I'm attached, if I attach my wagon to this brother's star... When he becomes powerful and well-known and he begins to run out the Romans who have been controlling our city and our, and our nation, when he gives Jerusalem uh, independence and he gives Israel our freedom back, whenever Jesus arrives in his power, who's going to be there? Me. I'm going to be there. And so for Peter, he had an expectation of Jesus. And his expectation was, Jesus, I 
want to get from you something. I'm expecting you to be, to be a political leader, for you to lead Israel back to its rightful place of independence and run out the Romans. And so when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders and the people that have been my enemies, and I'm going to die at the hands of these people who are less powerful than me, this is not what Peter was expecting. Peter had an expectation that he was going to be a, that Jesus was going to be a political leader that Jesus was going to be a powerful well-known political leader and that expectation when Jesus said no I'm going to be killed by the political leaders that expectation was faced with reality and what we see in Peter's life is that gap right he had the expectation of life becoming one thing and then Jesus says that he's going to be killed and he all of a sudden sees reality and between his expectation and the reality there is this gap in Peter's life And what does Peter put in that gap? Look at verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Now, rebuke's not a word we really use much, right? You don't go around telling people, I rebuke you, all right? We probably should more, but we don't really do that, okay? All right? Uh, and, and we probably wouldn't rebuke Jesus, I don't think. You know, maybe, maybe some of us would because maybe we're not as different from Peter as we'd like to think. The word rebuke just means uh, to reprimand, to oppose, to come up against. And so what Peter's basically saying with the word, with, with the idea of rebuking him or reprimanding him, is Peter is saying, you're wrong. You're wrong, Jesus. You're wrong. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Peter, in this moment, is not submitting to Jesus as his leader or his teacher or even his God. He's definitely not doing that. We, we, we cannot you know, guess Peter's emotion in this moment, but can we all agree with this, that this is a bold move? That this is a bold move for Peter to be like, be like hold on, Jesus, can I, get a, can I get a word with you? Can, hold on, just come over here. No, that's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. What are you thinking? Like, can we all agree that that's, even if he had done it gently, no, Jesus, no, like, like don't, don't, don't do that. This never should happen. No matter how, what his tone and how he approached it, this is a bold move. I mean, he just interrupts Jesus' teaching. He just interrupts what Jesus is doing, and he just basically pulls him to a side to correct him. And so while we can't exactly know what's going on inside of him, we do know this. He's motivated by some emotion, and that emotion uh, is, is leading him to think his way is the right way and Jesus' way is the wrong way. What we call that in our vernacular is Peter is short-sighted. You know what I mean? He's short-sighted. Have you ever been short-sighted? Like, have you ever, like, adamantly been opposed to something and thought it was the worst thing in the world, and then later you found out that, oh, wow, that really did work out, and I was actually kind of wrong about that? Now, you would never go and admit to anyone, hey, I was short-sighted back then. We should. We should go and confess and say, I was short-sighted. I was being a jerk. I'm sorry. It would be good for our soul and good for our walk with Christ if we did that, but we don't do it. But we should, okay? But have you ever been there before where you, you realized later you were short-sighted? Anybody? I'll, I'll be honest, right. Like you thought you were so convinced it was supposed to be this way and not that way. And then when it was all, the story was all done, you're like, ooh, I didn't, I didn't realize there was more happening than I, I didn't know. 
right? So what's happening is because his expectation was so strong and his reality, the reality was so different than his expectation, Peter's emotion is guiding him and it's making him short-sighted. And we can understand Peter. Can we collectively cut him some slack? We can relate. I mean, we want things to happen the way we want them to happen. Anybody? I mean, I want, I want my life. I want my day. I want my week. I want everything to work out the way I want it to. I want what I want. And so we can't really look at Peter and say, you know, Peter, you're, you're such an idiot for want, having expectations and want them to be your way. I mean, we have our expectations, and can we be honest? When our expectations are not met, something rises up inside of us, something comes from deep in our being, it comes up out of us, and, and we feel singled out, we feel mistreated, we feel like everyone is against us in that moment. When our expectation was not met, when the reality was, was different, and we had this gap between our expectation and the reality, something rises up inside of us that is very self centered. I'm being mistreated. I'm not getting what I'm supposed to get. Things are not going the way I thought they should. And sometimes that's, sometimes that's directed at people, as in Peter's case, and sometimes that's directed at God, and sometimes that's just directed at ourselves. Incredible emotional self-centeredness in that moment for Peter and for you and I. So in that, when that gap is created between our expectations and our reality, you and I put self-centered emotions in that gap. And inevitably, those self-centered emotions spill out and affect our behavior on the people we say we love. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Because it's true. It's true. We find ourselves angry, disappointed, sad, and we direct it at other people. We experience depression, frustration, loss of motivation, and the big one. When, our, when there's a gap between our expectations and our reality, the big one that shows up is fear. Now, we don't call it fear, but fear is what's driving a lot of what's happening inside of us. Our feelings take over, and all of a sudden our emotions are running our lives, and our thoughts are consumed with that failed expectation, and those emotions spill out on other people, and we hurt other people. This is what Peter is doing here. And it's all because there was a gap between what we expected and what our experienced reality actually was. But again, let's give ourselves some collective slack. I mean, this is human nature. We are all kind of the proverbial 12-year-old, right? We're all still fighting off that. Y'all didn't seem to agree with that. 12-year-olds don't realize they're 12-year-olds either. Am I right? Have you raised a 12-year-old? I'm raising two of them. I love them. We're all a lot like a proverbial 12-year-old. And the worst thing about a proverbial 12-year-old is they don't think they're a 12-year-old. It's normal. It's part of our nature. I mean, think about this. You wouldn't have expected Peter to say, Oh, wow, cool, Jesus, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't see it coming, but if that's what you want to do, get arrested and be killed, 
I'm in. Let's go. Maybe, maybe that'll spill out on me and they'll arrest me too. Man, this is awesome. Like you, you wouldn't expect Peter to do that. It's normal and it's natural for us to want what we want. But check this out. Jesus calls us to surrender and submit to him. He calls you and I to be different if we claim to be his followers. Look at what he says to Peter. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, these, can we all agree that this is bold as well? That this is strong? Like, Jesus doesn't say, oh, Peter, listen, buddy, there's a lot of things. Like, he, he doesn't speak, listen, there's just a lot of things you don't understand, man. There's just a lot of moving parts here, buddy. Like, just come on back to the group. We're going to get some coffee and everything's going to be okay. You'll see. He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't soft pedal this. He doesn't like, he doesn't try to give him the gentle hand. He call, he basically calls him Satan. And I know that like we try to figure out a way to make him not call Peter Satan. But if you look at the text, he calls him Satan. There's no way around it. He calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. In other words, Peter, you're going to reprimand me? You're going to oppose me? You're going to rebuke me? You are short-sighted. You are not seeing the big picture. There's more happening than you can tell. Peter, you're thinking of yourself. You're thinking of your fear, Peter. You're thinking of your plan, your desires, your expectations. Peter, you want your life to be yours and be lived out the way you want it to. You're short-sighted and you're getting in my way with your short-sightedness. That's what stumbling block means. Jesus, the Savior of the world, tells Peter, because you do not see that you must submit to me and surrender to me, and that life life is bigger than you could ever imagine, because you cannot see that, because you're responding with all this emotion in that gap and all this self-centered emotion, you are getting in my way, Peter. It's aggressive. Peter could know He couldn't know the plan of God. He couldn't see. And and it's interesting because Peter's just responding to the gap. I had this expectation. This is my reality. And it's just all this selfish emotion coming out of it. He couldn't know that Jesus was sent to die for the world and he was going to resurrect and all, you know, all the Gentiles and non-Jews are going to be brought into the family of God and the Holy Spirit was going to be given to the church. Like he couldn't know all that. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't use his ignorance as an excuse for his faithlessness. I want to say that again because that went right by a lot of you. Jesus doesn't allow Peter to use the excuse of his ignorance to justify his faithlessness, his lack of trust in Jesus. He does not let him use it as an excuse for Peter not being concerned about the things of God and the ways of God more than he was himself. And so right after he has this interchange with Peter, he turns to all of his disciples and he uses uh, these, the conversation with Peter and that whole interchange, he uses that as a teaching opportunity for his disciples and for you and I. And he uses this language that I would argue is some of the hardest things to obey as Christians for those of us who claim to be Jesus followers. 
Jesus tells his disciples that if we're going to be his students, his followers, then we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. In other words, we must give up our lives to Jesus. In other words, we must give up our lives to Jesus. Look at, look at this um, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus leaves us no wiggle room here. If we're going to be his student, his disciple, we must give up our lives and follow him. And to follow him just means that we let him lead us. Right? We let him teach us how to live. And this, this is the thing about being a Christian. And I, I say this all the time, but I have to say it all the time because most of us have grown up in, you know, uh, in the Bible Belt in the South. And like being a Christian means I believe the right things about Jesus and I try to be a good person. That is not the biblical idea of being a Christian. A Christian is someone who is a student a follower of Jesus who is an apprentice in the ways of Jesus. This is what a Christian is. And this is why so many of us know Christians. Like we know people who go to church, and maybe we are some of those people sitting here. Like we go to church some, and we say we believe the right things about Jesus, but our lives reflect nothing about the teachings of Jesus. Our words and our actions the way we treat people, the way we interact with people, both with whom we agree with and whom we disagree with. The way we treat our spouse, the way we raise our children, the way, we're, the way we view money. It's a whole other sermon. The way we view money, like we could go on and on and on. Like I believe the right things about Jesus and I try to avoid the big sins and I, I, I'm a Christian. And, 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 we, and our lives look nothing like we're a student of Jesus. We're a follower of Jesus. And what Jesus is saying to all of us is to be a Christian means to be a follower of Jesus, a student of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, where he leads and we follow. And our lives slowly over the course of our lifetimes begin to reflect more of his character in our living. Not less of his character, but more of his character. And here's the thing about this, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, not sure what you believe, every single human being alive will make a decision about what they believe concerning Jesus. Every one of us has to make this decision. Will I give Jesus my life or will I keep control of my life? But even once we make that decision, and many, in you, many of you in this room have made that decision, right? You, you've, you've, some point in your past, you've said, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. You've made that decision in the past. And if you haven't, we want to help you make that decision. But here's the thing about making that decision one time. Can we be honest? Those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, we have to make that decision over and over and over and over again. Like we made it, like we, I can tell you, I was like 11 years old when I made that decision for the first time and I surrendered my life to Jesus and I gave him my life and I was saved at that moment and my salvation was secure and like I was safe with God forever because of the blood of Christ who covered my sin. But here's the thing, I, to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, I have to come back to this, to this decision over and over and over again. And I have to ask, Stephen, do you want to be a disciple? 
disciple of Jesus? Because that's what he starts with, whoever wants to be. In other words, Jesus says not forcing anybody to be his disciple. Whoever wants to be his disciple. Stephen, do I want to be the disciple of Jesus? Well, if I do, then part of being a disciple of Jesus is that I deny myself. I don't put myself on the throne of my own life. I don't, take, I don't make me in charge of me. I make Jesus in charge of me. And I take up my cross. In other words, just as Jesus died on the cross and gave up his life, I give up my life to Jesus. And I let him have it. And I have to remind myself over and over and over again that I made that decision in the past and I'm continuing to make that, make that decision every day to give my life to Jesus, to take up my cross, to deny myself. And do you know why I have to come back that, that, to that decision over and over and over again? Do you know why? Do you know why? Because life creates gaps between what I expected and my reality. And in that moment, when that gap shows up, my inclination is for all of my emotion to focus on who? Me. For yours to focus on you. And I have to remind myself when that gap shows up, hey, this is what I was expecting, Jesus. This is what I thought was going to happen, Jesus. This is what I I believed was going to take place in my life, Jesus. But then reality sets in, and it's not like I had hoped. It's not like I thought it was going to happen. That in that moment, instead of putting selfish emotion and self-centeredness, I have to stop and say, well, Stephen, are you a disciple of Jesus? Does your life belong to him? Are you surrendered and submitted to him? Maybe this isn't what you hoped would happen. Maybe this isn't the, re- the expectation that you had, but this is where Jesus has led you. Will you surrender to him? Will you take up your cross? Will you live for his glory? Or are you determined to be your own leader and master? Do you see how it works? You see, when everything, and everything in your life is working out like you expected it to, it's easy to follow Jesus. Because you kind of go, man, Jesus is really giving me what I want. I must be living right. But as soon as the expectation is fails and the reality doesn't meet the expectation, as soon as that happens, many of us, we wonder where Jesus is and why is this happening Instead of going back to the question, do I want to be a disciple? Have I given my life to Jesus? I mean, just very quickly, um, let's talk for a second just how this gap shows up in our lives. How does the gap between what I want or what I expected and what is reality Where does it show up in your life, and how does it show up in your life? I think one of the big ones is we see this gap show up in our preferences. Like what we, you know, kind of how we think think things should happen. Um, You want things to be a certain way in the community in which you live. You guys are part of these, like, Facebook groups that are in your neighborhood, you know what I'm talking about? And what are people usually, what, what do they use those for, mostly, they inform people about stuff, but what else do they do on those, um, those forms? Say it really loud. Complain. Why are they complaining? Because they have an expectation, right? And then their expectation is not happening. The reality is happening. And so in the gap, what are they putting there? Selfishness, right? And is it normally polite and kind? Is it normally like, 
hey guys, I want everybody in our community just to come together to talk about, you know, the dog that won't start barking at 3 a.m., right? No, it's always like, I'm going to kill that dog if it keeps barking at 3 a.m. Like, I'm like, no, you're not. You're not going to kill the dog at 3 a.m. They're not going to do that. Like, stop talking like that. But what's coming up out of them, right? Selfishness, self-centeredness. The gap was created. Uh, we, we see this, so like in our city, our community, we see this in your workplace, you know? Um, we see this in like fast food restaurants. If all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A got rid of decaf coffee, and I'm, I'm a decaf coffee drinker, don't judge me. And, and so I was like, oh, man, I'm going to get rid of decaf coffee. And I came in, like all my selfishness came up out of me because they got rid of decaf coffee. And I'm like, I'm like, they should have consulted with me. Like, they don't care, right? It doesn't matter. So I'm going to go by there and fill out a complaint. No, I'm still getting my chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese. Like, it's still going to happen. So like when our preferences don't meet, I see this a lot in church, just like real talk for a second. You know, everybody who goes to church has a preference for what they think church should be like. Too, too close? And since I've been a pastor for 24 years this year, by the way, 24 years of ministry this year, um, I've been the hub of a wagon wheel for thousands of people's preferences for how they think a church service should happen. And none of them have ever become a pastor or started leading a church in any way. <laughs> I'm like, you know, we need pastors. But seriously, preferences in, in the church world. Um, I think it should be this way. I don't think it should be this way. And a lot of times it's just preferences that we're dealing with. It's just this isn't how I prefer it. This is how I prefer it. And we can't just be honest about that. And so we see it when, when preferences show up and that gap shows up and, and a lot of times self-centeredness and selfishness rises to the surface, even among Christians in the church. We see this uh, in how we expect people to uh, act and live. We have our ideas of uh, what we think other people should be doing. Uh, we have ideas of what, how they should be living. And when they don't do that, then what happens, right? We have this expectation, the reality, and there's a gap. If you're raising a grown, if you raise your children, you have grown children, have you had a moment where you looked at your grown children and went, well, this was not what I, what I was expecting? Anybody? Anybody looked at their grown child and looked like, I, I, this is not what I was expecting. I did not expect them to turn out this way, right? And sometimes that's maybe for the better. You're like, I never thought I was doing this good of a job. This is amazing. But for the most part, like we, you know, like we have this moment where people aren't like acting the way we think they should act. We feel like, and in, in that moment, we have to re remind ourselves, hey, is Jesus the leader of my life? Am I going to respond to these people the way Jesus would respond to them? Am I going to respond to these people who are not meeting my expectations, how Jesus is calling me to? Uh, we see this uh, in the way we want our lives to work out. We've talked about that a lot today. Like, you really want to be married and you're not married. You really uh, you know, don't want to be married to this person and you're still married to this person, right? Uh in those moments, we have to remind ourselves that my life belongs to Jesus and he knows what he's doing, that I can trust him. Uh, we see this in how we respond when people treat us in a way that we find is disrespectful. Man, I could preach a whole sermon right here. So what that someone disrespected you? What does Jesus tell you to do towards them in that moment? Right, turn the other cheek. It's real clear. It's just hard. It's just hard. 
So am I going to, when someone's not treating me the way I think they should, they're speaking to me in a way that I don't like, am I going to, am I going to surrender my life to Jesus in that, in that moment? Am I going to say, you know what, Jesus, I have all that I need in you. So, so what if they don't respect me? What could they have possibly added to my life with their respect when I have everything in you, Jesus? Like, am I going to do that? Or am I going to be offended? So what, what in your life, just think for a moment, what in your life, where does this happen? Where does this gap show up in your life? Where you had an expectation, and this is your reality, and in that gap you've put a lot of self-centered emotions and a lot of like hurt feelings there, and you've, where's that taking place for you? And what can we do differently? So instead of responding with control and fear and anger and frustration and sadness and despondency, what can you do differently? I think instead of responding with all that self-centered emotion, what if we let God's Spirit lead us, His Holy Spirit lead us? What if we listen to the Holy Spirit in those moments when the gap shows up? And what if we said, hey, in that moment when the gap shows up, I'm going to respond with grace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody recognize that list? So what, what if in that moment, that's called the fruit of the Spirit, by the way, it's in the book of Galatians. What if in that moment, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's not plural, it's fruit. In other words, it is the outpouring of what happens when the Holy Spirit's leading our life. What if in that moment when the gap shows up, we instead Instead of listening to ourself and listening to our flesh and listening to our emotions and listening to how our feelings are hurt and how we want what we want, what if instead of laying all that down and we said, Jesus, I just want the Holy Spirit to speak to me right now. I want to respond in this moment in a Holy Spirit way. And if I can't, just help me not to respond at all so I can get somewhere and pray and I can come back and respond later, right? Like help me, Jesus, to respond with the Holy Spirit right now. And I got to tell you, those things are not natural to you. They're not normal for you. What's normal for you, what's natural for you is selfishness, fear, control, and demanding your way. That's what's normal. That's what's natural. But when we let the Spirit lead us and guide us in, the, in this life, we begin to see His fruit in our lives. And friends, I know this sounds like religious talk because we're just used to being good people and going to church. But that's not the hope of the gospel. It's bigger than that. It's greater than that. It's wonderful. This is not just religious talk. Jesus actually wants to lead you through every gap of expectation and reality that shows up in your life. He actually wants to do that. He actually wants you to hear his voice and follow him every time all that self-centeredness rises up. He actually wants to get involved in that. He actually is okay with your mess. It's the reason he died for you. But we have to invite him in. We have to tell him that we want to follow him. And it takes practice. It takes effort. We have to listen. We have to engage. And we have to care. And we should care. Because Jesus said that if we're going to be his follower, his disciple, that this matters to him. That we would give him our lives and let him lead us. But we have to practice this every single day. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. When you are convinced that you're responding the right way to the gap of expectation and reality, be careful 
you might be the proverbial 12-year-old. Be careful. The more convinced you are that you are doing it right, the more likely you're not. When you find yourself convinced, I'm responding to this gap of my expectation and this reality, I'm responding to it the right way. Encourage you to test it against the Bible. Test it against the teachings of Jesus in the gospel. Test it against God's word in the letters of the New Testament. Find out for yourself if all that self righteous, self centered emotion is actually what Jesus would have you do. The more convinced you are, the more you need to look at Jesus, your teacher, to see what to do with that gap. Father, thank you for action between Peter and Jesus. Thank you that, uh, that the, Bible is, the Bible doesn't paint these heroes in like always perfect light. You know, he, the Bible tells us the truth. And it's so refreshing to see that Peter's a lot like us. He's, um, he wants things to be his way. And when he doesn't get them his way, his way he, he wants to jump in and correct it. God, we can relate to that so well. Lord, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you've been blessed by this podcast, please leave us a review and take a minute to subscribe. Thanks. See you next week.